Welcome to another episode of Search News You Can Use with me, Dr. Marie Haynes. This is episode number 136 of our newsletter. I'm recording this on Wednesday, June 10th of 2020. Um, This is, uh, I didn't do a proper newsletter podcast last week because we had such an incredible time interviewing John Mueller. Uh, Funny story. I was so uh, worried about the tech for this because although I record podcast myself every week, I don't think I've ever, well, no, I've never had a guest. Uh, And so Dylan and I, my uh, colleague Dylan, who works with me, uh, went through all of the possible things that could go wrong. We got a new mic. We uh, did all sorts of things. And then the moment that I saw John on my Zoom Zoom app, uh, there was no sound. And so it took us 10 minutes to get the sound. So I was a little bit flustered when we first started, but uh, it really ended up great. It's gotten a lot of coverage, a lot of attention in the SEO world for many uh, good reasons. If you missed the podcast episode with John, um, it's available on our YouTube channel and also wherever you found this podcast, either on our website, on Apple Podcasts or Google Play Music, Spotify, anything like that. Um, it's been getting a lot of attention and really has stirred up a lot of really interesting questions. Uh, I'm going to cover a couple of those in this episode of podcast, but I really would encourage you. And we've also got a written transcript of it on our website at mariehaines.com. Um, I believe you can find it on our blog, so that should be easy easy to, uh, to find. I, I really would encourage you to read it. Uh, I asked John some questions about disavowing, about um, how Google assesses quality, um, and a number of other things like that that were, yeah, I thought they'd be really hard questions to answer, and I actually learned a lot from them. So I really want to thank John for coming on to the podcast and uh, sharing all that information with us. We have got a load of stuff to talk about in uh, this episode. We've got some really, really good questions. Uh, at the end of podcast. One of them is about uh, receiving a bunch of spammy links from foreign sites and whether you should be disavowing those links. And another uh, question is about whether or not uh, a particular website should be using a a particular author who advertises themselves as a medical writer. I don't have the exact answer to that, but I'm going to give you my thoughts based on what Google has said in terms of EAT and especially medical expertise. Um, In terms of Algorithm updates. Barry Schwartz reported just today in Search Engine Roundtable that uh, a lot of people were talking about a potential update happening uh, just today. So in our research that we did, uh, you know, every week we look at our clients and say, all right, is there a particular date on which there was way more movement than we expect to see across way more sites than we usually see? We had quite a few sites that saw changes in their Google traffic um, that sometimes we could attribute to a, a Google algorithm change, but it's all over the place. And personally, I think that what's happening is just that the world is changing. Uh, I don't know about your part of the world, but where we are, we're starting in Ontario, we're starting with what they're calling phase two of reopening, where people can get haircuts again. And, uh, you know, the world can do things that we couldn't do just a few weeks ago or even months ago. So there definitely are a lot of changes happening in the world. Uh, We're going to analyze whether something has happened just today, whether Google made significant changes. Uh, I did take a quick look at a number of our clients' analytics just before recording podcast. I can't say there's anything really crazy happening right now, uh, but we'll have more possibly to report on that next week. Um, 
Let's see, what else can we uh, start off with here? Oh, Google announced a new head of search. Now, I don't think this really changes anything for SEO. Uh, the new head of search is Prabhakar Raghavan. Um, ben Gomes used to be the head of search, and we have several quotes from Ben Gomes. My favorite that I use all the time is one from uh, CNBC, where he mentions how the quality raters guidelines are used as a goal for where Google wants to go with their algorithms. Uh, I never met Ben Gomes. Uh, and but I've heard he was incredible at the job. But times change, and so uh, this new uh, head of search, Prabhakar Raghavan. My apologies if I'm saying your name incorrectly. Um, is uh, has a very uh, strong history in search. I just did a little bit of reading about uh, what he's done, and he's done a lot of research on link analysis, um, and has very strong interests in understanding user behavior. So it'll be interesting to see if that in impacts where Google search goes from this point on. I know some SEOs had pointed out that right now he is, or prior to this transition, he was uh, heavily involved in paid search at Google, uh, apparently. Um, and so some of the concern was, oh, Google doesn't care about organic now and everything is just on paid. And really, though, it seems like he has quite a background in organic uh, search, again, in understanding links, in understanding site quality. Uh, and so it'll be interesting to see uh, if things have changed, you know, over the next few months and so. Uh, but I honestly think that there won't be any change uh, that we can directly tie back to this new um, this new change in Google uh, personnel, essentially. Um, Google put out this week a report on web spam. They do this every single year, and uh, you know we learned a few things from it, but there's nothing earth-shattering in this report. Um, they uh, are. I do think it's important, though, that Google has consistently over the last few months said a lot of things about how they are working on reducing the amount of low-quality pages in the index. And when you think about it, I, I don't know what the number is for how many new pages uh, get published every single day across the world. Uh, I'm sure it's it's a massive number. And there's only a limited amount of space for Google to be storing pages. And I'm a, I mean, I don't know exactly how this works, but I would imagine that uh, a lot of resources go into making it so that we can find any of billions or trillions of pages on the web. I've been seeing a number of people still complaining. I have uh, people tweeting at me saying, look, there's definitely a problem in Google being able to index content because my content that used to be indexed, I can't find it in the index anymore. And in every single case, when I've looked at this content, it's content that's like not overtly spammy. But it's not really something that, uh, you know, Google would say, oh, yeah, we need to show this to everybody who searches for that term. Um, I, I'm going to say this, and it's not to put down any particular website, but I think it'll help people. Somebody who tweeted at me, um, give me an example of an article that they could not get indexed. Now, it's a bit tricky because I actually found it in the index, but apparently it pops in and out of the index. Um, and then it's an article on an essay that this person wrote about their birthday party. Um, you know, it's it's not horribly written, It's uh, but I it, it's not 
terribly helpful. And what I asked the person was, what search terms do you hope are going to bring people to uh, you know this particular page? And I believe uh, the term was essay on my birthday party. Now, maybe that's something that a lot of people are searching for, uh, but I don't think that it is. Uh, you know, and I mean, there's ways we can test that. We could use all sorts of keyword research tools and, and things like that. The point that I'm trying to make, though, is that if you have content that is not sticking in Google's index, um, it might be that the content just isn't something that anybody would ever want to find. Um, and that's tricky. It's hard to assess your own content in that way. I've seen other sites that have said, well, you know, like the stuff that is ranking is no better than my stuff that's not ranking. Uh, but somehow Google has to draw a line somewhere. So uh, anyways, back to this article that Google uh, released on how they have fought spam over the last year. I thought this was interesting. This is a quote from the article. The telltale signs of spam are in the behavioral tactics used and how they try to manipulate our ranking systems against our webmaster guidelines. So in other words, if you're ranking well because you found tricks or loopholes to convince Google that your site's more valuable than it actually is, then Google considers this to be spam. And I think it's important that, um, you know, they talk about links being a component of spam. And so many of us will look at links. Um, if I showed you, you know, a bunch of bizarre links that came from some adult website and were pointing to my website with adult terms, you know, you, you could look at that and say, oh yeah, that's ultra spammy. But what if I started writing articles and I got them published on websites that are very happy to publish any content that they can, and that produces links back to my website? Many people would look at that and go, you know what, that article is actually a pretty decent article. That's not a spammy link. I mean, the person who published it has an editorial decision. They made that decision to say, yeah, yeah, we'll publish this content. So that's not a spammy link. But in Google's eyes, it is. Uh, and I'm going to cover that a little bit more later on. I'm going to talk about the situation with SEMrush that happened uh, where they got called out for selling links. And so this is important. And the reason why I bring it up is that I think a lot of the SEO community uh, is talking about how they build white hat links. Um, and that can be done. There are ways. I, I would like to lean more towards how we... Um, maybe did PR and amplified our content so that we earned white hat links. Uh, but a lot of the people who are, if you use the term building white hat links, you're building links that Google probably is not considering natural links. And in Google's eyes, those are spam. Um, Google says that most of the 25 billion spammy pages that they detected last year, they were able to detect automatically that they were spammy and not include them in the index. Um, and that probably can explain why so many people are comp uh, complaining now that they can't get their pages indexed by Google. So if you are really struggling, now there are other reasons to not have your pages indexed. And so definitely first look at technical reasons. Uh, I would run the page through Google Search Console uh, through the inspect URL tool. And often you can find something there. I mean, we've, we've done that for some clients that said, oh, I can't get this page indexed. And then uh, <laughs> we run it through the tool and it's like, oh, Google can't access this because it's blocked in robots or maybe it has a no index tag. Uh, those things do happen. Um, and there can be other reasons like maybe the page has been detected as being keyword stuffed. Uh, Google has a keyword stuffing algorithm that runs regularly that determines that type of thing. Uh, you know, maybe there are other possible reasons for 
for it not to rank well. But if you're finding that you have a lot of content that's not ranking well, it might be a good idea to get somebody outside of your business to look at these pages and truly say, like, do they deserve to rank? Do, is anybody ever going to do a Google search and say, oh yeah, yeah, this is the page that I wanted to find. And I think in a lot of cases, the content that's not getting indexed is not the best of its kind. So we're going to be doing more investigation into this type of thing. Uh, but where a lot of people are complaining that maybe Google has an issue with indexing content, I think actually they're getting better at uh, determining what's spam and they're changing their criteria as to what's spam. Um, maybe changing criteria is the wrong phrase. Uh, they're, they're getting better at determining what criteria they can measure to determine if something is not helpful to people. Bing's got a cute couple new tools that are really, really exciting. I just played around with them a little bit this week, and I, it is something that my team and I want to spend more time on. Uh, Bing has a new backlink tool, and it actually reminds me a little bit of the Yahoo. Um, if you remember, Yahoo used to have an excellent link uh, tool that uh, this was prior, I believe, prior to Ahrefs and Majestic and Moz and um, all of those uh, companies that have their own backlink link tools. Um, and then Yahoo took it away. Uh, so Bing, now this new tool, what it'll do is you can actually put in a comparative site. So if you have your website uh, in Bing Webmaster Tools, you can tell Bing who you think your competitor is, and Bing will show you the links to that site as well, along with their anchor text, um, commonly used for links, and uh, a number of other things as well. It seems very similar to some of the paid tools. Um, you know, we still get great value. We use Ahrefs. Uh, mostly for our, our link analysis on top of what we can get in Google Search Console. Uh, but a lot of the things that we use Ahrefs for are available in Bing Webmaster Tools now as well. So I don't think we're going to be switching from Ahrefs. You know, we'll still continue to, to, to be paid members of Ahrefs for quite some time. Um, but for those of you who maybe uh, can't afford Ahrefs or, you know, just don't want to shell out the money for a tool, uh, it's worth registering with Bing Webmaster Tools and seeing, you know, what kind Kind of link information you can get from there. The other thing that Bing announced is a new tool that's called SiteScan. And this is, again, something that a lot of the um, uh, commonly used paid tools will do. SiteScan uh, appears to be uh, just a basic um, automated site audit tool. So we tend to use, uh, for a lot of our reports, when we're looking at technical things, uh, we crawl with a number of tools, but the SEMrush site audit tool is actually quite a good one, uh, and it will give you quite a bit of information on, uh, you know, oh, here's something we've identified as a problem, or there's canonical tags missing here, you know, things like that. Apparently, now I have, uh, I did run a scan with the Bing Webmaster Tools on one of my sites, and it, it was still running. Uh, it took a while, so I don't know how long it takes to, to get those results. Um, but it does look like something where you can get very basic uh, technical information for your site. So way to go, Bing. I think uh, years ago, when I first started doing penalty work, I paid a lot of attention to Bing. Um, and then over the years... Because Bing often would show me different links that I couldn't find in other uh, sources. Um, and I don't know if that's still the case. Over the years, I sort of have fallen away from it. Uh, but I think this will make me want to use those tools a little bit more. So uh, I'd encourage you to, to take a look at that. This is something else that's caused a lot of bit of uh, discussion over the week. Google has a new featured snippet to web page content highlight feature. That's a mouthful to say that. 
The whole idea of this is, and uh, it actually, just before I recorded podcast, I was doing a search for something to um, uh, to answer one of the Q&A questions at, that's at, at the end of podcast. Uh, I did a search for, what was it now? Is melatonin good for you or something like that? And I got a featured snippet uh, that was from Healthline, and it had a paragraph about melatonin. And when I clicked on the featured snippet, it took me to the page on Healthline, but it took me directly to the part where they grabbed the featured snippet from. And that part is highlighted in bright yellow. This was on a desktop search. It's not just on mobile. Initially, I thought it was just mobile. Um, and I don't know, you know, if it's going to happen every single time you click a featured snippet because I did other ones this morning and, and that didn't happen for me. I was actually trying to test this uh, and I couldn't get it to, to highlight text. Um, now, this has stirred up some controversy because uh, while it's good for users to end up on the part of the page that, you know, I, I usually go to a page and then I do a control F to find the, the part that I actually was looking for. Um, so it's good for users to end up on that part of the page, but it's not great for site owners. Uh, you know, people can potentially get to that part of the page without seeing any of your branding maybe not your logo. Maybe this is the case for having a, uh, a sticky logo or a sticky header so people can see what uh, website they're on. Um, people will go past a whole bunch of ads. Uh, you know, I one site that I was looking at this morning, uh, I, I did my search result. I, I did my search. I clicked on the featured snippet. And in this case, it didn't do the highlighting. Um, and in order for me to get to the text that I was looking for, I counted. I went past four ads, one of which was an auto-playing video. Um, if Google had taken me directly to that text, I would not have scrolled past those ads. And who knows how those ads are, um, you know, are actually providing that site owner with money. They might be ones that every time they're uh, displayed and show an impression, uh, the site owner gets uh, a revenue from that. Um, and if that's the case, then Google taking people directly to the text that they're searching for will make it so that a lot of websites are going to have a reduction in ad revenue. That's my guess. Uh, Lily Ray had uh, an interesting tweet this morning that apparently Currently, you can disable this on your website. Uh, you can serve a document policy force load at top in your HTTP header. There's an article on Search Engine Roundtable about this as well. And what that will do is force uh, Google to start the page at the top of the page as opposed to jumping to the part that they have highlighted. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm sure that's something that people will be experimenting with. Uh, so if you find that this is happening, I, I think one thing to note is that if you're noticing that you have a reduction in ad revenue, um, you know, starting this week, and there's no reduction in traffic, then this could be one possible reason why. Uh, might be worth, uh, you know, we haven't done a whole lot with scroll tracking, but this is something where if that was happening to my website, I'd probably want to be testing scroll tracking and seeing, you know, do, do people actually scroll through my pages? Are they seeing the same number of ads as they used to? Uh, I, th I think this is going to be something that's going to upset the SEO community for quite some time. Um, speaking of unusual things, uh, there was some talk this week that rich results were now showing for home pages. Uh, home pages 
historically have not been eligible to show things like review stars and other rich results in the search results. Um, and so this was brought up on Twitter, and initially Gary Ish said, uh, I asked some people, and for what it's worth, things do change, so this might be why. Uh, and then he came back uh, three days later and said that it was unintended and it's being fixed. So if you were finding that you're getting review stars, uh, you're getting uh, markup in the search results for your homepage, uh, that's probably gone away by now, or at least uh, Google's going to be working on fixing it. This is something that's very, very interesting. Should we be optimizing for user intent? So Cyrus Shepard tweeted uh, about this based on the interview that I did with John Mueller. And he highlighted this quote from John. I'm going to read it out here. Uh, I had asked him about um, e-commerce sites that have a whole bunch of what we call SEO content uh, written at the, the bottom of the page, uh, which is basically like a big block of text that contains a bunch of keywords that very few humans would actually ever want to read. And this is what part of what uh, John said this uh, and this is what Cyrus ha had Cyrus had highlighted. The other thing where I could imagine that our algorithms sometimes get confused is when they have a list of products on top and essentially a giant article on the bottom when our algorithms have to figure out the intent of this page. Is this something that's meant for commercial intent or is this an informational page? What is the kind of primary reason for this page to exist? And I could imagine that our algorithms sometimes get confused by this big chunk of text where we'd say, oh, this is an informational page about shoes. Um, and so the quote goes on. If you want more information on this, our transcript of the John Mueller podcast, uh, you know, goes into greater detail on this. Now, uh, this brought up some discussion, and uh, uh, Dr. Pete had said, I, in general, I'm wary of how we interpret an on-the-fly statement that contains words like imagine and probably. This seems to be John Mueller making an educated guess to some degree. Uh, directionally interesting, sure, but not a formal official statement. And I think this is important. Um, I'm going to be talking at end of podcast on something uh, funny that Lily Ray posted about how Twitter is sort of attacks SEOs that write on topics. And um, and I, I don't take this as an attack uh, by anybody, but I think Dr. Pete has a, a good point that sometimes, you know, John will say something based on a question. Now, I did give John these questions beforehand, um, but it's certainly possible that he'd say something that's not quite an official statement from Google. In response to Dr. Pete, though, John actually said, well, that's true, but also none of this should be surprising. And he linked to a page on Wikipedia about optimizing for user intent. I would really, this is something that I would encourage everybody to read more on. If you're a premium member of our newsletter, this is something that's in the paid section that I've sort of uh, elaborated more on why this is important and how Google will uh, potentially differentiate whether your search was meant to find information or whether you were actually wanting to buy something. Uh, and if you're having trouble ranking product pages, it may be that Google is struggling to determine, is this actually uh, a page where people buy stuff or is this a page where people go for information? And there's a real fine balance because you can't just have products with no words uh, but you also don't want to have a 5,000-word article on your product pages uh, because it'll be tricky for Google to understand where to rank that. So again, we've got more in newsletter on that. I'd like to expand on it more, but we've just got so much to uh, to talk about. So I'm going to leave you to, to read that in newsletter this week. 
Um, this was a good question. I think most of you know the answer to this, but somebody was asking on Twitter whether if you got a good link that points to a 404 page on your site. Uh, so basically, let's say somebody mistyped the URL, and when users click on that link, they're going to get a 404 page on your site. Um, John Mueller confirmed that, uh, he said, if there's no indexed page or canonical URL for a link destination, then we drop the link. Uh, and so we, we have known that. I mean, that's something that we sometimes use as a strategy when we're removing manual actions. Um, I'm thinking of one particular case where the site that got the manual action had built Build, built unnatural links to just four pages on their website. And so what we did is instead of, instead of spending weeks and weeks trying to get links removed, we just 404 those pages. And um, that did the trick. It essentially removed all of those links and Google doesn't count the signals that go from those links uh, to that site. Um, I've mentioned this in the past, but funny story, maybe not so funny. That site that I worked with, um, months after they got their manual action removed, uh, actually went and removed those 404s. And so they reinstated all of the links that Google had pointed out as unnatural. And I can't remember how long it took. I believe it was like within a week, but I could be wrong. They had the manual action back again. And this time it took me probably three times as long to get it removed. Um, when Google sees that you're playing around with them and you're trying to get away with uh, building links in unnatural ways, they are not very forgiving. So keep that in mind. But anyhow, if you have links that point to 404 pages, uh, what can you do? Um, ideally, you should reach out to the site owner and say like, hey, this points to a page that no longer exists. Any chance you could change it? But I understand that that's not always possible. So another option uh, would be to actually um, institute a redirect uh, on your own website so that it redirects to the appropriate page. You don't want to be redirecting all of these uh, broken links to your homepage. Google's pretty good at figuring out that those aren't actually votes for your homepage. Um, and so sometimes you can see benefits from uh, redirecting important links to uh, the appropriate page. I say sometimes because we had a very interesting case a couple of years ago. We had a fairly large brand come to us and we did some optimization work for them. And one of the things we noticed is that they had hundreds and hundreds of links from authoritative websites. One was from the New York Times, uh, the BBC. They had all sorts of excellent links that pointed to 404 pages. And so we were so excited. We took every single one of those links and we redirected them to a page that was similar that still existed on the website and we were uh, you know getting ready to write case studies on this because it was going to be such a massive jump in rankings and traffic and absolutely nothing happened now uh, I probably should have written that up as a case study I you know we we never really did get down to the bottom of it um, the redirects were in place properly and uh, I know it's hard for you to know without seeing the actual links uh, but it was a weird situation so sometimes you can see uh, benefits from uh, correcting broken links, but not always. Um, there was also discussion this week on whether or not Google crawls RSS feeds. I, I don't think I'm going to go into great detail on this. Uh, Gary Ish was asking about it on Twitter. And I, I think that the concern here is, again, with Google trying to decide, is it necessary for us to be crawling all this content? Your RSS feed on your site... Um, 
gosh, if you're relying on that for Google to discover content on your site, then maybe something's not right. Uh, but it wouldn't surprise me if Google makes some changes in how much they uh, crawl um, uh, that type of uh, RSS feed. Um, let's see what else here. Oh, yeah, yeah. This was interesting, too. It was a tweet from Glenn Gabe. Uh, he was talking about, um, and I think this might be from a help hangout, but I'm not sure, that um, John Mueller was saying for news sites, if there's many articles that are high quality, but like maybe they don't become popular, should you no index them? Um, and John said, well, no. But he sort of suggested that you could create like a quality filter for your own site. Now, this reminded me of uh, a few years ago in the Google Health help forms. Um, actually, it might have been in a Google help hangout. Uh, John Mueller was actually talking about how Google themselves did this with their help forums. If you, um, th there's many times where I've been searching for uh, a particular question that I saw in the help forums and I can't find it on my search and it's because it's got a no index on it. And John shared with us back then that what he does is, or what he does, what Google does is actually have certain criteria. So one would be if, uh, if a forum post has a post but no replies, it doesn't get indexed. It has a no index tag put on it. Um, and then they instituted a thumbs up system where you could say whether this question was helpful, whether the replies were helpful or not. And they had a system that essentially said like if, um, if a page didn't have thumbs up, then it had a no index on it. Uh, and they may have had a certain number, like it needed a certain number of thumbs up or basically votes of approval in order to get indexed. Now you can do this for your website as well, but the criteria is gonna look quite different. Um, so in Google's case, this was about a forum. And what Glenn was talking about here is a news site. So picture a news site that writes, you know, maybe 50 different stories a day. Um, just because, uh, you know, somebody doesn't get a lot of attention, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's a low quality website or a low quality page. Um, but you need to find some way to uh, establish some criteria to say, what is it that we're going to include in the index? Now, if you're doing fine and you've always been ranking fine and you do well with Google updates, then maybe you don't need to be trimming out any of your content over the years. You know, John said in the past that just because something was, uh, you know, if something was valuable years ago, but nobody clicks on it today, that's not hurting your site's quality or Google's uh, assumption of what your site is in terms of quality. Um, but if that advice back, that page back years ago was low quality, then yes, if you have enough of those low quality pages, that can impact Google's assessment for your entire site. So um, what can those criteria be? It, it's really going to depend on the site. You might look at things like, um, you know, maybe we only want to index, keep indexed articles. Maybe we index everything. And then after a week, if certain measures of quality, like, uh, you know, if it's not viewed by enough people or there's no engagement in the comments or whatever you've decided, um, then a no index tag gets put on it. I, I think that's something that, um, if I had a big site that published tons of information every day, that's something I'd want to implement for sure. Um, Let's talk about the SEMrush situation. The, this is a, a really delicate situation because we, we really like SEMrush. 
Um, and I, I would say we have relationship with them in the sense that, uh, you know, we don't have a paid relationship, although I do believe we belong to their affiliate program, but, um, we have an emotional connection with them and I've been to SEMrush events and, um, you know, SEMrush says nice things about us as well. Uh, but this situation was a tricky one and I'll tell you what I think happened. So in case you hadn't heard the news, uh, what happened was um, somebody noticed that Semrush had a page that was essentially selling uh, guest posts. Um, the page said, in just a few clicks, you can now order guest blog posts based on keywords you're interested in, which are then placed on authoritative blogs in your niche. And, um, you know, somebody pointed that out on Twitter, and then uh, somebody from Semrush replied with this. Now, this reply was removed, so... Um, I, the fact that it was removed, I think, means that it came from, uh, I want to say, like a junior level employee who probably just didn't understand that this was breaking Google's guidelines. So the tweet said, uh, then we create this unique article and we place a backlink to your URL, as well as to other content like research type and so on to be as natural as possible. It's almost laughable when I think about it. So what we offer is absolutely legal white hat link building tactic. Here's how it works. And then it was a link to the, um, uh, the page that now has been replaced with uh, coming soon or something like that. So here's the thing. Is it, and, and I, I'm going to sound like a broken record because I've talked about this many, many times over the years. Is it unnatural in Google's eyes to guest blog? I have, an, uh, I have two articles. If you uh, search for Marie Haynes guest posting, you'll see two articles. One is uh, everything Google had said, and I think this was up till 2014. It's, it, it, I need to update the post um, on guest posting. And another article um, is about a case study that I had uh, where I removed a manual action from a site that had been heavily involved in guest posting. And uh, um, it was interesting because removing hundreds and hundreds of guest post links did had absolutely no negative effect on the site's traffic, um, which led me to believe that Google was already, uh, you know, not counting those links. So when you guest blog, there's different reasons for doing that. Um, and I've said this before, but if I wrote a guest post and I got it published on a site like Moz or, or SEMrush or, um, you know, sites that are known as authorities in the SEO world, that can do wonders for my branding. Um, anytime, it's been a long time since I've actually published an article on somebody else's site. Uh, the, the, the pressures of um, building our own business have sort of taken me away from doing that. But let's say I did publish an article and it, it got published on SEMrush and maybe it had a link back to my website. Whenever that happens, people click on that link and some of them become customers for us. And so there are reasons to guest post beyond like, oh, I got a link. Um, the other thing is the scale. You know, over the years, I've probably written, I don't know, maybe 20 guest posts, uh, which is not a huge scale over, over many, many years. Well, SEMrush was offering here was 100% against Google's guidelines. Um, and it reminds me of the situation several years ago with my blog guest. My blog guest was a, um, a guest posting platform run by Anne Smarty. Anne is amazing. I love you, Anne, if you're listening. And, and this is not to say anything negative uh, about Anne at all. Because um, years ago, Anne had the same idea. Like, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with connecting people to um, other people who need that type of content. Initially, 
It's the intent that's wrong. So I don't think very many people were using Anne's platform and potentially SEMrush's platform um, for trying to get the types of guest posts that would drive visitors and customers, uh, maybe visitors, but customers to your website. They are almost definitely there to get links. Um, and that's against Google's guidelines. Google's guidelines on link schemes, this is something I talked about in the uh, interview with John, was how I wish Google could change the link schemes portion of the guidelines because it sort of implies that as long as, if you're making your own articles, as long as you're not linking back with keyword anchors, you're good. And that's not the case. I, I asked John about that in the interview. I said, what if if I wrote an article and got it published on somebody else's site and said, hey, could you include a link to my site? Um, and even if it wasn't keyword anchored, would Google consider that unnatural? And and John said, yes. Uh, and I know that's stirring up a lot of anger in people because, um, you know, there are edge case cases that that doesn't apply to. But I think that probably 99.9% of people who use this service from SEMrush are doing it for link building. And if you think, why does Google count links? They count links because uh, if I, in newsletter, you know, when I link out to in our recommended reading to somebody who's written this incredible article, it's because I'm recommending that article. You know, it's my recommendation. And if you are just finding ways that you can get links um, because somebody else was willing to publish your content, these really shouldn't count towards you ranking better. It's not like, uh, you know, somebody is saying, oh, yeah, yeah, this content's so good. Everybody should read it. Instead, it was just a trade of links for content. So... I think most of you know that, but I feel like there's going to be another surge of, um, and maybe it's already happened, of Google, uh, you know, getting better at figuring out which links are truly good links. I do think this is potentially a component of the May core update um, because we saw a number of sites similar to the November 8th update last year. We saw a number of sites that had done some sort of like what people would call white hat link building, but really it's this type of like, here's some content. Can I have a link in return? Um, and we saw a number of those sites, those pages that had been uh, built, had had links built to it in that way, saw big declines. Now, I, at this point, I don't think that Google um, actually demoted those pages for having unnatural links, but rather they just got better at figuring out, oh, that's not actually a vote for content. Why should that prop up the, the content? Um, so keep that in mind. I, it wouldn't surprise me if we see a wave of manual actions. If you have used a guest posting service like this, you may want to take a look at whether you need to disavow those links. Um, that's a, it's a controversial area as well, uh, but that's something that is, um, you know, I, I, Google's pointed it out. Uh, John linked to, when he replied uh, so, so to the SEMrush post, linked to an article uh, Google put out a couple years ago called A Reminder About Links in Large-Scale Article Campaigns. Uh, you need to find that and, and read it. It's on the Google Webmaster blog. Um, and I think many of the people who are listening to this podcast are still building links in unnatural ways. And that is, it might hurt you. It might not. It might just be an, a colossal waste of time and money. Um, and so I would much rather be putting that time and money into improving your content, into analyzing what's working, into fixing technical issues, uh, as opposed to building links to try to trick Google into uh, thinking that your content is more recommended than it actually is. Um, so I, again, I, I think that this happened to SEMrush because of 
And, and Bill Hartzer nailed it when he said, uh, I don't have the quote right in front of me, but he said, this is why companies need advisory boards. Um, because I don't think there is anybody, maybe there's nobody in the company that is an expert on link quality. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. That's kind of scary if, you know, they, they sell link tools. <laughs> um, don't quote me on any of this. It's not to speak down to SEMrush. I think this was a product that was developed and uh, didn't get thought through properly. Uh, in terms of local SEO this week, we actually don't have a whole lot to add. There's no obvious algorithm updates. Apparently, Google's looking closer at garage door spam. I guess this is an area of Google My Business where there's a lot of spam. So if you're in that vertical, then uh, you know you may find, um, provided you're one of the good sites in that vertical that aren't spamming people, uh, that things are better for you um, in the future. Uh, this was interesting. Sterling Sky, that's Joy Hawkins' company, did a an experiment where they looked at keywords in your Google My Business Q&A. So people can ask you in Google My Business a question, and then as a business owner, you can respond to that question. And there's been a, a theory that's been circulating for many years that if you have keywords in your Q&A, so like let's say somebody went to our Google My Business profile and said, do you do SEO site audits? Um, that that might make us rank for SEO site audits. Uh, and I, I think it's a reasonable explanation. Um, and I think a little while back, John Mueller had pointed out that, uh, you know, somebody was asking about a particular business that was ranking for a keyword when that keyword wasn't even on their homepage anywhere. And John had hinted that maybe people had written, uh, things in reviews, uh, to say that, that, that included that keyword. The study that uh, Sterling Sky did, um, I'm not sure how many websites they tested, uh, but uh, it was more than a few. <laughs> and so um, what they found, it, I, it's hard to go through the whole study, but I did feel like it was it was done well. Um, they, they found that there was no connection, basically. Uh, the sites where they did do Q&A uh, and included keywords in their questions uh, did not rank better for having those keywords in the questions. Um, so uh, you know, I can't say that 100%, but it kind of makes sense to me. Anything that we can sort of manipulate or spam, uh, I think Google's getting better at making it so that that doesn't work uh, as well as it used to. I'm going to move on to Q&A now. We've got some really, really good questions here. Um, first question, hi, Marie, uh, what would you do with spammy foreign sites linking to your site's images? Would you disavow it or ignore it? My site just had a sudden spike of over 500 spammy backlinks from spammy domains linking to the image files, not image as anchor text. Any advice, please? This happens all the time. Uh, we get people reaching out to us all the time saying, I'm under attack for negative SEO. I see these adult links pointing to me. I see these really bizarre spammy links pointing to me. Um, should I disavow them? I honestly do feel like Google's algorithms are pretty good at figuring out that you didn't build these links to try to improve your rankings. Those are the links that can cause problems these days. Uh, those being links that you built yourself to try to manipulate Google. Um, it would be interesting to see what happened to your rankings after these links got added. So that's something you could check, uh, you know, and maybe look at uh, a couple of weeks after those links were starting to point at your, your website and see, like, did those pages increase in rankings? Did they decline in rankings? Now, let's say they increased. This, this happened to me a few years ago, and I, I can't remember if it was... 
before Penguin 4.0 where Google said they were ignoring spammy links or not. But somebody pointed a bunch of spammy links at one of my websites that uh, contain the anchor text uh, Ugg boots and Ugg clothing uh, and Ugg handbags, I think, something like that. Um, and I started to actually rank for those terms. And um, for a few days, I actually, uh, I, I got rid of the hack. It was a hack, basically. The reason, and that's what I'm saying, is if you see a sudden influx of spammy links, you may want to be investigating whether your site has been hacked. Uh, and so my site had been hacked with all of these pages that were redirecting to Amazon uh, to sell these high-end handbags and stuff. Um, and so what I did was I uh, uh, I just took those pages over myself and um, changed the links to my own Amazon affiliate link. And I made uh, a little bit of money for a few days until I felt really guilty about it because uh, that's actually against Amazon's term of, terms of service. Uh, and so I removed them. Point being, though, that those spammy links actually helped me. Now, I think that was before Penguin 4.0. And I think in today's day and age... Google would just ignore those links. So should you disavow them? There's no harm in disavowing them, really. Even if they are improving your rankings, I don't want to send that signal to Google. Um, and they probably aren't improving your rankings. So the only harm in disavowing them would be the time spent. Uh, and sometimes what happens is once a site starts to get links like this, you may get them like every month. Uh, and if you're spending hours and hours every month disavowing when you probably don't have to, uh, that's kind of a waste of time. Um, something to know is if it's just a small handful of sites that are linking, like often what we'll see is uh, a site gets 100,000 new spammy links, but they all come from one domain. And maybe that domain has put something in their footer or, you know, something that's site-wide that's linking to you. You can just add that domain to your disavow and that will disavow every single link that comes from that website. Um, most likely, so what I'd want to look at is whether your traffic was actually impacted by those links. My guess is no. Uh, and if it was negatively impacted, then yes, I'd want to disavow. Um, if you were doing a link audit anyways, and it's never a bad idea to do that and just get in there and look at, uh, you know, what Type of types of content is actually getting good links for you, and in the process, just jot down all of the spammy ones. Um, but, but only do that though if you're totally sure they're spammy. I've seen people who have shot themselves in the foot with disavow because they'll say, "Oh, this this link comes from a foreign language site, so I'm going to disavow it." But like maybe it's actually somebody recommending your content. Or I had one uh, client that I did a link audit for a while back. Um, that sold a product that was also used in, uh, gosh, how do I say this? In like for adult reasons. Uh, and so they had links from really awful, it was a horrible link audit to do. They had links from very, very awful uh, graphic websites. But the thing was, those links were actually recommendations for their product. Um, and so you don't, you don't want to just go disavowing because you think it looks unnatural. Your main reason to disavow is uh, if you have been building links in order to improve your rankings, which doesn't sound like the case here. This next question is a super interesting one. Um, hi, MHC. I have a client who has hired a... Oh, I should mention this. We do have a form on our newsletter where you can submit a question for me, but you can also submit a question to the MHC Inc. Twitter account, and um, my team will get them to me, and uh, we can hopefully include them in in podcast if we have time. So uh, I have a client who has hired a professional writer for her website in the health niche. The writer is also a PhD. 
However, it looks like the writer is not a full-time medical writer based on her website, and they link to the website. I'm not actually going to mention who this person is um, because I, I don't, you know, I don't want to speak against anyone. And I, I should tell you that I've only looked into this just briefly. So normally, if I was assessing this type of question for uh, a client, um, or if my team was, you know, this is something that would probably take us a few hours to uh, to thoroughly investigate. Um, but what I did was look at the website for this particular person, and uh, this person is like has a lot of qualifications it says she's a registered holistic nutritionist a certified functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner um and uh, many many other things uh and so that's a start that's, that's good you know that's we all we talk about eat saying you should promote all of the uh qualifications that you have um, should you be using her as an author is a really tricky question to answer. And really it comes down to what would users perceive when they look at your website? So I, I looked up this person's name and, um, what I wanted to see is, is she recognized by other experts as an expert in medical topics? There's a few ways you can do this. Uh, first thing I did was just Google her name. I put quotes around her name and Googled it. And she has a very, um, a name that's not terribly common. Uh, and so first thing I saw was her LinkedIn profile. And then I saw other profiles on websites, but I didn't see any results that were people saying, oh, so-and-so said this, quoting her as an expert. And that's not a good sign. So then what I did was I put her name in quotes into Google News. And uh, there were no mentions of her in Google News. Now, you don't necessarily have to be in Google News to be considered an expert. Um, but I mean, if you put my name into Google News, you'll see like, oh, Search Engine Roundtable mentioned us a few times <laughs> this week, actually, with the John Mueller uh, interview. Um, mentions from other experts saying that, uh, you know, that's basically recognizing me as an expert. I didn't find anybody else recommending this person as an expert. So then what I did was I uh, went to the first website uh, that she was listed as a medical author on. And I looked at uh, one of the first articles that she had written for this website was about the benefits of melatonin. This is what I was doing the search for. And um, um, the top article, if you do a search, oh, so you know, is she qualified to write on the benefits of melatonin? I don't know. Uh, you know, as a reader who's maybe trying to determine whether I should trust this particular article, I see that she's got like, uh, okay, her bio says she's got a PhD in molecular genetics and an undergraduate degree in molecular and computational biology. This person is very, very accomplished, but I'm not sure if she's the best person to tell me whether I should take melatonin. Um, and so I can't tell you exactly how Google's algorithms work, but this is what I did. I did a search for the benefits of melatonin, and the first article comes from Healthline. Now, you can argue uh, whether or not Healthline is truly medically accurate, but for whatever reason, Google really, really trusts Healthline. I personally, I think they're great. I, I don't think I've ever received bad advice from Healthline, uh, but I have other, a lot of our clients say like, oh, they're ranking and they've got stuff that's not accurate or whatever. Um, so, but the thing is Google trusts Healthline as an authoritative medical source and readers do as well, right? So if I'm trying to find uh, information on melatonin, and there's an article on Healthline that tells me about the pros and cons, I'm likely to trust that as a searcher. Um, and then, uh, let's see here. 
Then I also, and then the next site is WebMD, which is similar. The next site that ranked uh, really well was called The Sleep Doctor. And um, the author of these articles, Dr. Breus, I don't know how to say his name. uh, He's actually, like, that's what he does. That's his profession is help people with sleep disorders. And he has clients. And um, it says, his bio says he's one of only 168 psychologists in the world with his credentials and distinction. Um, and, and so the point is like, if I, this guy knows melatonin <laughs> and he's probably seen hundreds and hundreds of patients and seen their, do they actually respond to melatonin? Does it help them sleep? Does it have these side effects? Uh, and so we talked before about how I really believe that with the May core update, Google connected that when people search for things, often they want to get results from people who have real life firsthand expertise in this area. And so, um, as a searcher, if I'm looking for information on melatonin, I can get information from Healthline, which uh, I tend to trust, from WebMD, which I tend to trust, from um, this Dr. Breus, who uh, I really should trust because of all of, all of his expertise. And it's way down the list before I get to this particular website that's written by somebody with some medical credentials, but maybe not expertise specifically for melatonin. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's super confusing, but I guess I could summarize this answer by saying having a, a medical writer who understands medical terms and understands how to explain things in layman's terms, uh, but in a way that still sounds professional, um, that maybe Google, uh, Google's algorithms like BERT could figure out like, oh, this is, you know, written in a way that a professional would write. That's a good thing but it may not be enough for certain queries. And so uh, it's it's better than having me write that article. You know, it's better than having a copywriter uh, who's a very good writer, but has zero experience in medicine. Um, but is it, you know, the end all and be all? Well, I, I don't think that that article will ever be outranking the ones that are currently at the top of the page uh, for melatonin. So hopefully that makes sense. I, I mean, I, I like I said, I feel like I'd need to do way more investigation to give you a proper answer to this. Uh, but, um, you know, it's not like Google has a black and white algorithm that says, ah, this is a medical article with zero medical expertise uh, well, maybe they do, <laughs> that uh, we don't want to rank it. And then there's like the sliding scale of what expertise is okay. Um, you know, really it comes down to would users trust that they can get information from this particular author. Uh, I think I'll leave that there. I think I could go on quite a bit on that topic. I wanted to end uh, by just commenting. I know I've mentioned Lily a few times in this episode, but Lily tweeted something that really spoke to me. And uh, it was a, a, and she even said, this is a joke (laughs) and constructive criticism is healthy and necessary. But it really resonated with me. She says, an SEO professional publishes an article based on an intentionally vague statement from Google. And what does SEO Twitter say? Your article's too vague. It takes things out of context. Context, And then the professional publishes an article based on a large-scale correlation analysis. And what does Twitter say? Correlation's not causation, and you should feel bad. <laughs> and it, it goes on, um, you know, to explain, like, oh, publishes an article based on a Google patent. And then Twitter says, well, we don't know that Google's using the patent. It, it really resonated with me because this is the type of stuff that I uh, write about. We write about theories, and you're listening to this podcast. I mean, maybe you're just listening to get the news. Uh, but you're also wanting to know, like, 
oh, what can we glean from this? Like a Google employee said this, does that mean that we could improve our quality in this way? And I don't think there's anything wrong with that as long as we're not uh, saying it as pure gospel. Um, and so I just wanted to say this to encourage people to share their theories. It's been a long time, like uh, we used to see way more case studies from SEOs. Um, and now what happens is every time an SEO puts out a case study, it's just hit with so much criticism. Um, and SEO is a field where you have so many variables that you're never going to have a perfect study. So I won't dwell on this, uh, but I just wanted to put it out there that if you're wanting to criticize somebody's work on Twitter, like be sure to do it in a way where people realize that you're not critici criticizing that person. Uh, I actually uh, printed this out. Uh, Barry Schwartz tweeted this week, I take nothing personally. If I did, I'd be out of this industry a long time ago. Um, and I'm learning that. Um, this is not towards any particular person, but I know over the years, uh, some of uh, a lot of SEO work has just been um, uh, I guess criticized heavily. Uh, and that hurts because, uh, we need more SEO work. So if you are, um, you know, new at SEO, or maybe you're not very well known, but you'd like to be better known in the industry, I'd really encourage you to publish some studies. Don't be afraid of the people who will, every time somebody will come out and say, oh, this is not good because blah, blah, blah. But you don't hear from the many other people that you actually helped. Uh, you know, this week I had three people just out of the blue send me an email to say how much they uh, appreciated the work that my team and I are doing. And that's awesome. I'd love to see way more of that uh, than people just being, um, you know, complaining on Twitter. Anyhow, that's my, uh, my social criticism for, <laughs> for the week. Um, I hope you got some value out of this episode. Another really long one. Um, I really would encourage you to read uh, or watch or listen to uh, John Mueller's interview that we did last week. And we'll keep an eye on whether Google has another algorithm update. I'm sure we'll have very interesting stuff to talk about soon. Thanks very much, and I wish you the best of luck with your rankings. <laughs>